It's such an honour, Danny, um, to be a part of this amazing podcast you're doing here. And it's just really cool to be talking about this book. You know my work and you've given it a lot of thought and um, I don't normally get such good questions, to be honest. <laughs> Your podcast is the one that I listen to when I want to listen to an interviewer who has actually read the books she's asking questions about <laughs> and asks really interesting, insightful questions about it. And I think that's really special. Thank you for your wonderful questions. It was a good chat. Great chat. You're a good interviewer. So enjoy listening to the podcast. That's brilliant what you do. Honestly, I'm so in awe and we need more word nerds like yourself, people that are passionate about books. Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. Today I have author Sandy Docker joining in as co-host on this episode with Kate Nunn as we talk about The Silk House. The Silk House is a spellbounding story of a mysterious boarding school sheltering a centuries-old secret by the best-selling author of The Botanist's Daughter and the Forgotten Letters of Esther Durant. Welcome to the Words and Nerds podcast, Kate Nunn. Thank you, Danny. Thank you for having me. And hello, Sandy. Pleased to be here. We also welcome author and guest co-host Sandy Docker. Hi, guys. (laughs) Now, Sandy and I have been together before. Sandy has been on the podcast before, and I actually appeared on her Friday Book Bites. So I've got a bit of experience with this. And today, it's a silly thing, but I kept saying Sandy and Danny, and now I've got the Grease soundtrack (laughs) stuck in my head. So... Oh well. We'll try and so if, if we burst into song, Kate, we're very sorry. <laughs> yeah, this is now. I'll understand why? It's going to be a musical episode. Have got... you done that before, Danny? I haven't. So this is a first. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I've got, for some reason, out of all the Grease songs, I've got stranded at the drive-in in my stuck in my head. So I hope that the rest of you have that stuck in your head too. <laughs> <laughs> now today we're going to talk about the Silk House. I loved this book, and I know Sandy and I read it, um, you know, over about three days. I think to start us off, Kate, can you give us an elevator pitch as to what the Silk House is about? Yes, I can. Um, it is a dual timeline historical novel that is set in the present day when a young Australian teacher, history teacher, has come to uh, a very old established boarding school in England to um, teach history to its first intake of girls and uh, they're to board in Silk House. And then in the 18th century, uh, this house is the home of a silk merchant. And uh, at the same time in Spitalfields, a young woman dreams of becoming a silk designer. And uh, from there, the three stories interweave, if you'll pardon the pun. I love a good pun. I'm a sewer, and so I found the whole pattern making and weaving of silk really interesting part of the story, and it was clearly very meticulously researched. I wanted to ask you, um, what was the most interesting or strangest thing you discovered when you were researching this part of the story? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, I think um, the... uh, the fact that there were riots, um, not quite at the time that I was writing, I think, and maybe slightly before, if I remember correctly, um, and there were thing, people called silk cutters, and they would go into the houses of the silk weavers, and often the looms were right at the top in the attic, and they had big windows to let in lots of light, um, and they cut the silk from the looms and destroyed it. Um, so it was unusable, uh, and there was there was there was rioting in the streets, and and uh, it was all over pay and wages, as these things so often are. Um, yeah, so that was a really interesting bit of um, 
bit of research that I didn't quite get to use, but I think I made a very a passing mention of it in the book. Yeah, yeah, you did, and I found that quite interesting too. Now you so Sandy, do you as well, Kate? Do you make things? No, I'm terrible. I was forced <laughs> to do a lot of sewing at school. Um, for some reason, it, it was quite a while ago, and that was one of the things we had to do. So I can I can sew, and I can you know do that. But it, it's um, I don't have the patience. I like to see the finished product before, and not I'm not that painstaking a person. Unfortunately, I don't have the attention to detail required. I don't think. And Sandy, what do you create? Um, I can sew. Just about anything. I did make my own wedding dress. Wow. Oh, wow. So, so that's, that's very impressive. Now you need to post a picture on social media, please. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I want to see it. That's incredible. My mother used to make her own gowns because she went to quite, we were in the military and she went to, well, she was uh, married to a, a pilot and they went to a lot of balls and things. And I remember her cursing and swearing as she laid out silk crepe on the floor and tried to cut the patterns out. And yeah, we had to stay clear when she was doing stuff like that. It's a very hard fabric to work with, actually, because mm. of the, the, the fluidity of it. it yes. It's really difficult. Oh, I love the idea of a place being full of history and secrets, and it was a powerful place that has seen many occupants over the hundreds of years, and in a way the building becomes another character in the book, and I thought it was a really important sort of central focus of the book. Tell us about the setting and the buildings. Um, well, actually, part of the inspiration for this story came when I went back on a visit to my hometown um, and discovered that one of the houses there that I think used to be a WH Smith's or something really kind of ordinary um, was actually uh, once it was once a silk merchant's house and it had been restored. And so I was able to go and visit. Um, and just before that, I'd been in London at the Victorian Albert Museum. And one of my favorite galleries there is the Costume Gallery. And I just love it. And I'd seen this gown that just caught my attention and I took a photograph of it and noted, you know, the, the details on the, the plaque. Um, and it turned out to have been designed by a noted silk designer at the time called Anna Maria Garthwaite. And so the, the confluence of those two things coming so close together within a week, I was like, oh, I think there's a story here. Um, and I love the idea that, um, you know, buildings can have seen so much that we have no idea of. And that sometimes I think the... Um, that if something really extraordinary has happened, something very violent or, or something very emotional, I think it kind of seeps into the building. And you can sense that, without being too woo-woo about it, you can sense that energy. Um, I remember going uh, to do a ghost tour of the quarantine station in Manly a few years ago um, at night, and there were some parts of those buildings I walked into, and I just thought that something awful had happened in those places, and I had to walk out again. I, it just sent shivers down my spine. So I really wanted to explore that idea of, of, of history kind of bringing it to, to the more, bringing it present, and it's still echoing sort of throughout the years and the centuries. I love that idea and I love how you say echoing because I think that's absolutely true and it's funny I I remember now when you were talking about you know a building bringing back you know these kind of memories or living within the walls and I remember I stayed at this hotel in Cornwall and it was meant to be haunted I can't remember what it was called and I, I love Cornwall so much but I remember staying in a room on my oh, own it was just the no. creepiest room and I was in there by myself I just remember I was watching, I had the sitcoms on the whole night and the light on the entire night. I don't know if I was just freaking myself out, but that was the kind of place you could really feel yes. the history around you. Probably wasn't spooky, you know, as I was thinking, but, you know, I really understand that, that history sort of encompassing a place. 
There's a reason that we have the expression, if these walls could talk. Very true, actually. Yes, very true. Yes, yeah. And you can be completely oblivious to it and not know what has happened in them. But sometimes it's nice as a reader to get that perspective. You mentioned, Kate, when you were doing some of your research that you read a plaque with the name of a silk weaver on there. And I was wondering whether any of your characters in the book, and I'm thinking particularly here of Mary Louise, were they based on real characters? And I'm really hoping that you're going to say yes and that Mary Mary Louise did become, you know, this amazing pattern maker for, for the silk merchants in that time. Um, it was inspired by um, this uh, silk designer, Anna Maria Garthwaite, who was one of the few women. Uh, it was a very male-dominated um, industry, um, and she was incredibly prolific. And her house is still standing in Spitalfields in London. You see where she's written up some of the patterns she's done. Her pattern books um, are still in existence. Um, so, yeah, def- very definitely, you know, based on that idea that there was a woman at that time who was doing that kind of a job um, and who must have found it very difficult to get established. Um, so yes for certain it was I'm so pleased because I was really hoping that would come true and I I love reading about these trailblazing women doing things well before their time yes yes and I think look the whole um one of the themes that came throughout the book is is of women throughout history and even in the present and the the barriers they face and the prejudice they face and and how they overcome it I mean uh, my present day character Thea coming to a boarding school that is only just about to admit girls and obviously are are people who've been there for for decades who are really resistant to the idea and, and can't deal with it and so that was really important for me to include that in the book you know you think naively enough that the 18th century yes you expect there to be you know a patriarchal system and a society where women are trying to you know gain some equality or gain some power but then when you came back to the context of now it was the struggles were still very similar and that, yes, that that's reflective yeah. of our society it, it, in some was, ways. it was fantastic to have those those parallels yes those parallels saying you know things haven't actually changed they might have changed in some ways but in other ways they really haven't yeah, yeah. it is a good reminder though we've still got a way to go exactly yes <laughs> and and jumping on the back of that the core of the book is about women yeah, standing with one another against these prejudices, both in your present timeline and in your historical timeline. And in the book, you mention the network with the arrow symbol that runs yeah. throughout the book. How, how important do you think these networks are both, you know, in historical times and now? Um, I think they're extremely important. I think men have always had those kind of societies. Um, and for women, it's been a bit more underground, less obvious. Um, but, you know, if you think about things like um, the Freemasons and, and organisations like that, you know, completely male-dominated. Um, and, and, yes, there are now, that, of course, there are women's business networks and things like that, but it's, it's still really important, I think, um, that kind of support for, for somebody who has, might have come up against exactly the same problems that you once faced. So I'm wondering whether um, Thea ends up part of this network if she stays long enough. Well, I think one of the things as a writer that it's really important to do is, and I'm so glad you said that, is for the story to live on in the mind of the reader. Um, and a couple of my other books, people have said, oh, my goodness, is there going to be a sequel? Because I want to know what happens next. And, it's, and I'm like, no, I don't think there is. But I love that um, you're thinking about what might happen. Um, and, and so you, you continue the, you know, the story is for, your, for your own benefit. Um, so, yeah, I, t- I don't know. I, I'd, I'd like to think that she stays, yes. And, and, yeah, she becomes part of that. 
Well, they were my thoughts exactly. I was just going to say, Sandy, I think um, now that we know you can sew, you need to sew us some matching shoes with arrows on them that we can wear. (laughs) (laughs) If Kate sends me the design, I'll I'll make something up. I don't know about that. So little details like that came from, I happened to be in the supermarket one day and I saw this woman wearing these incredible black velvet slippers and they actually had silver metatarsals, like, bones on and I was like oh those look really good I wonder if I can you know just work at at something similar into a book so there's lots of all you know and you would know this Sandy all those kind of details you just file away and think oh well I'll use that somewhere because that's really quite quirky yeah yeah that's fantastic and talking about the design the design of the front cover is just so beautiful and then when you read the book and you look at you read about the fabrics and the intricate details and the the difference of them and then they're on the cover here that just brings it to life and I just want to ask how did you come up because they are quite original designs even you know in today's standards how did you come up with the designs of the silk in there in your head um, in my head, I'm, I'm not really sure. That was just my <laughs> imagination. Um, and just having a bit of fun with it, I think, particularly with the kind of the spider webs and things mm. and, and stuff like that. That was just, um, you know, dreaming, really, mm. and imagining. Yes. Um, and I'm very lucky that my publisher, Rebecca Saunders, um, really involves me in the cover design process. So we, we look at it right from very early roughs. Um, and we discuss it and we, we bounce it back and forth. And I really wanted a black cover because I think it's quite a dark story. It is a great cover. And um, I really want to dress with spider webs and scary <laughs> poisonous plants on it. So I'll be looking out for one of those. Now, speaking of uh, witchcraft, I find the, the history of witchcraft, particularly when it comes to women, I find it so fascinating. And not only that, it's, it's what the idea of what made people think you were a witch and obviously the consequences thereafter, which were always horrific. And it made me think when I was reading the book, was it a fear of witchcraft or was it a fear of the power, emerging power of women or was it the fear of both, do you think? Um, I think to start with, it was the fear of the unknown. Um, and things that um, people with a great deal of education couldn't really explain. Um, and then they would blame the kind of the weaker people in society. So it was you know, often older women who had a lot of wisdom, but they were often single women and, and older and weaker. Um, and so they would get the blame. And, and they were often involved in, um, in things like you know, delivering babies and that kind of thing where a lot of men didn't really know what went on. So they, they, you know, they were more inclined to think that there was a bit of witchcraft involved in, in all that kind of practice um, and healing and so on and so forth. Yes. You know, the fear of the unknown, whatever that unknown yeah. might be, and then blaming those that are weaker than us yes. for it. it yes. like, we can see parallels in that today. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, lots of things that haven't changed, unfortunately. Yes, yeah. And it was, I mean, the, the, the element of witchcraft really only came in as I was writing and researching. And then I realized that in that county in Wiltshire, where I grew up, um, there was a phenomenal amount of um, witch women, women and some men accused of witchcraft. And I looked through the court records and, uh, and things like that. And, and, and then sort of there are quite a few known names of people that come up there. Um, and I found that absolutely fascinating. So I was like, well, you know, this has to be an element, another thread in the book for sure. I'm going to perhaps naively assume that you aren't a witch (laughs) (laughs) and therefore you must have done an awful lot of research about, you know, those supernatural powers and and the witchcraft that you've weaved with the historical part of the story. Was there anything really strange you found when you were doing that? Um, 
it was more just the number of, of women that had been accused in, in a county that's not particularly known uh, in England for, for being, uh, you know, a heavily uh, sort of populated with witches. I think it was just that at that time, the kind of, it was more the kind of 14th, 15th, 16th centuries where, um, you know, there was just accusations of witchcraft were, were very prevalent. Um, so that, you know, surprised me, actually, that there was so much of it even in Wiltshire. Um, but I, look, I did a lot of imagining, um, and uh, in terms of the, um, the remedies that um, Rowan, the, the maid who comes to work in the silk merchant's house that she makes up, I, I did some research into those, but I was really careful not to be too specific. I had to be really careful that no reader would be able to do that or want to do that. You know, online I was able to find um, quite a few um, ideas and, and suggestions of, of plants. My earlier books, The Botanist's Daughter, just seem to have quite a fascination for plants and things that have power and can heal and harm and so it was nice to be able to weave that in here um yeah yeah sort of return to that are there any of those remedies that have stood the test of time and are still used today um i think so yes yes and one of the books i bought actually um was a book of contemporary recipes um and and herbal remedies yeah i think it's a knowledge that we've lost a lot yet you know there's an awful lot of knowledge there that we could probably be using today that oh absolutely complementary to modernism yes absolutely and there might be things growing in your garden that have you know you could brew as a tea or whatever i mean it's a bit like the fact that sandy you know can you made your own wedding dress you're a dressmaker you know um my daughter's generation they don't really get taught how to sew and and that and that knowledge is really being lost uh you know and when you can buy a t-shirt for two dollars why would you yeah. stop to make something <laughs> sadly um, yeah, so that you know, there's lots of old those old skills that are, are being lost, um, which is a shame. But you know, still some people are really interested in that and carrying it on. And um, in terms of herbalists and, and kind of apothecaries, there seem to be a few more of those. Speaking of the apothecaries, I found this a really interesting juxtaposition, I guess, within the story. And I know it's historically accurate. Men ran the apothecaries. They were seen more as merchants. Whereas the women, you know, it was a lot harder for a woman to have her own business in that sense. Um, really, unless she was uh, a widow, uh, you know, she couldn't own property. She, um, she wasn't expected uh, to work outside. You know, her job was to work in the family home and raise children and, and manage the servants of that class. Um, you know, uh, the class that um, some of my characters are. Um, and even Rowan, you know, the only avenue open to her was, uh, was to be a maid, mostly. One of the interesting things that you did in the book was put those combinations into the fabric as opposed to a potion. Uh, is that something that you read about or is that something that came out of your imagination? That was purely my imagination. That was just a bit of a flight of fancy. And I thought, oh, wouldn't this be kind of fun to, to do that and, and to give uh, a piece of fabric some power? Uh, and then it's like, you know, where did that power come from? Did it come from the design? Did it come from the weaver? Because that's a combination we need to be wary of if we come across it in real life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who knows? They say truth is stranger than fiction. <laughs> the protagonist is over to introduce girls into this uh, exclusive school that haven't had girls yet before. Did you have to do any research in terms of some of those exclusive boys club schools that still exist today? Um, very much so. Um, I went to boarding school, but it was a girls' boarding school. The town I grew up in has a, a very prestigious boarding school. Um, and then my neighbour, when I was living in Sydney, went to that school. And so when we first started chatting about it, she mentioned that she said, oh, we had... Um, 
oh, what were they, that, um, that dames, each boarding house had a dame. And I just thought, oh, gosh, that's incredibly archaic. <laughs> and so I went onto the website and I found this. And she said, oh, and the, the dames are actually lovely, really lovely motherly women. I'm like, right, well, my dame isn't going to be. <laughs> so that was, that was kind of fun to discover that. Um, and actually, I remember my copy editor queried when I was detailing the, the facilities that the school had and the number of playing fields and all of this. And she was like, really? Seems extreme. Like, I just sent her a link to one particular school and she went, Oh, okay. All right. Yes, you've been quite accurate there. <laughs> Speaking of your dame in the book, I would really like to put in a request here, if I may, Kate. I'd like a little side story about her, if we can have one. <laughs> That's a good idea want, for a short story. I want story. to know more. Yes. Yes, that's a very good idea for a short story. But um, the uh, the twist about the dame, I didn't actually see it coming until I was in the middle of writing it. And then I wrote it and I was like, oh, my goodness, of course, this is what happens. Um, so that was a delightful discovery um, as, I, as I came to the end of the book. Mm-hmm. And then I had to go back and reverse engineer a few things to make, yeah, yeah. To make it, make it, <laughs> make it work. incredible. And yes, but I was like, oh, this is, this is an extra bonus that I hadn't seen coming. I think as a writer, that's one of those magic moments that we sometimes have. Um, yes. If we can have one of those in each of our books that we write, that moment where we go, uh-huh. Mm. Um, because if we're going, uh-huh, then the reader will go, uh-huh as well. Hopefully, yes. <laughs> yes, that's very true, very true. Yeah, with yes. all that history and the research, Kate, what's your writing process like? Are you a pantser or did you plan it before you were writing? Um, I would love to be a plotter and I try each time really hard to be a plotter. I have a number of ideas but they're all very loose and very disjointed Um, and I tend to then do quite a bit of research up front just to get an idea of of the the era that I'm I'm writing in Um, and sometimes ideas will suggest themselves from that particular details. Um, the, the book that, um, will be coming out next year, I happened to be reading a diary and there was one particular incident in this diary and I was like, oh great, what would happen if this didn't work out the way it did in the diary, but it worked out slightly differently. And that was kind of the whole premise for, for my book that I've written for next year. So the research, um, phase is, is invaluable for me at the beginning. And then, um, and once I can see the first scene in my head, uh, I start and I tend to write the historical story first, um, as a separate um, story um, so that it has its complete arc um, and then for me writing a dual timeline I think it's it's really important that both timelines have as much validity of a story so it's not like one just supports the other that they could be read completely independently um, uh, and so yes that's the kind of process I've ended up with I think this is my third uh, and I've just written a fourth historical fiction novel so it's, it's just what works for me and the way it works for me. That's a wonderful process I really like that sort of paralleling stories it's fantastic thank you now Kate I love to ask authors this why do you write um I write because I never want to have to work in an office again I write (laughs) because I love the way I feel having written having actually achieved something uh, on a day that I've written, which I hope is most days. It, it really does vary. Um, yeah, it, it feels like this is what I was meant to do. Um, and, yeah, I'm just so grateful that I get the chance to do it um, and that people seem to like it. My publisher likes it um, and uh, that I can do it full time. I'm, yeah, I'm very conscious of how fortunate I am to be able to do that. I find that a really interesting turn of phrase that you said then, Kate, you like 
having written. The actual writing is not easy. It never, ever is easy. And I struggle for every single word. I'm not one of these people that can just write reams and reams every day. I really have to force it out. And some days it is like pushing it uphill. Uh, but the feeling of having done it is fantastic. So is that your favourite part of the process? Yeah. <laughs> part, you know, my favourite part is always the part I'm not doing <laughs> at the time. The days when the time flies and you look up and, you you know, several hours have gone by, they're, they're few and far between, but those are really good days. Fantastic. Well, I really enjoyed the book. Um, and thank you so much for um, Sandy, for being the Sandy to my Danny today. Sandy Docker, wonderful co-host. <laughs> Thank you, Bo. <laughs> we will have to do a musical version one day. Absolutely. It's it's in the pipeline. I'm so glad I get to be Danny too. I'm going to, you know, get my leather jacket out. <laughs> and thank you so much for your time today, Kate. I mean, The Silk House is such an interesting oh, novel. No. It combines historical fiction, the supernatural, written from three female perspectives in two very different times, and it was um, a really great read. So thank you for talking about it with us today. Oh, not at all, Danny. Thank you for inviting me. It was lovely to chat about it. <laughs>